Sometimes people come up with ideas or products that are just a little bit ahead of their time. And, but as time progresses, people uh, sometimes gain an appreciation for either that product or that idea. And sometimes it happens because when it first came out, people just didn't see the need for that product or, or they didn't see the value of that idea. And sometimes um, the value increases because our circumstances change um, and the, uh, the world around us changes. And so we begin to see that maybe uh, this thing wasn't such a crazy idea uh, in the first place, that, that it, maybe there's a lot of truth to what this thing, this idea is holding. And so I'm guessing that back in September of 2019, this product that I found on Amazon this last week, um, it might seem a little strange to some folks. That it, it might have, when it first hit the market, I'm guessing that this was not on their top seller list in September of 2019. Um, I'm, I'm just guessing that. I don't have any facts to back that up, but that's my guess. So I want to show you just a quick picture of this product that I found on Amazon. You can still order it. Um, this is, you guys probably can't see it from where you're sitting, but at the very bottom, this is a 2020 weekly and monthly planner that has the words, the struggle is real across the cover. Now, I don't know who came up with this idea at Creative Notebooks, but I'm guessing when they came up, they had no idea how true that statement was going to be for 2020. Now, most of us got like halfway through 2020. We just threw our planners out anyway. But like most of us had no idea that in 2019 how real this struggle was going to be. We had no idea that within a few months of starting that calendar and that planner, we were going to be having to go through this global pandemic that has really altered so much of our life. We had no idea that we were going to have to um, suffer this hit to our national economy that's going to take us years to recover from. We had no idea um, that our, our nation was going to be kind of in the midst of all this social unrest and protests and riots popping up all over the country. We really had no idea in September of 19 or 2019 how real the struggle was going to be. And I'm just going to be honest with you, that's just the big stuff. That's just the stuff that made the news from this past year. And so it has been a year of struggle for many people. But for a lot of us, uh, either sitting here or online, the struggle is real not just because of the big news, but the struggle is real for you on a much deeper personal level. You, you've had to deal with things this year that you never even imagined were going to happen. Or if you did imagine it was going to happen, you, you didn't think it was going to happen either now or it was going to happen this quick or it was going to happen this hard. It was going to hit you this hard. Um, and so for 2020, your personal struggles have been real, and they've been hard, and they've been difficult, and you're maybe not through those yet. And so as much as I would like to say that when this year is over, when 2020 is done, the struggles are done too. As much as I would like to tell you that when we flip the calendar over in a few weeks that there's no more 2020, then the struggles are not going to be real anymore. But the problem is I can't tell you that. Because if you go to Walmart, you can find a, a calendar for 2021 that has this exact same title on it. I almost wanted to like order all of them and just burn them, um, but I just couldn't. I couldn't afford to do that, to be honest with you. So our, our question, what we've got to figure out is if the struggles are not going away, and they're not. Okay, now some of the struggles are going away. Some of them will be different, but ultimately our struggles are not going away. So if our struggles are not going away. Then, then how do we deal with them? How do we rediscover to, uh, this idea of peace in the midst of our struggles? So this morning we're going to look at two uh, very different passages, but they are connected in a beautiful way. One of them is a very familiar passage in uh, Luke chapter 2. It's part of the Christmas story. You've heard it multiple times probably. The other is in Hebrews chapter 13. 
And so we're going to look at these two uh, verses, and we're going to see a great connection uh, between the two. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 8 and read through verse 15 as part of the Christmas story. And then we're going to flip over to Hebrews chapter 13, and I'm just going to read two verses there, 20 and 21. Um, and you can either follow along in your copy of the Bible, you can follow along on the screens that are beside me. Um, but it's just this great passage that God has for us. So let's go ahead and look at Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. It says, In the same region... Shepherds were staying out in their fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. When an angel of the Lord stood before him, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be a sign for you that you will find the babe wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to the people he favors. And then we're going to flip over to a connected passage to that. Um, in Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to see the connection here as we start in verse 20 and read verse 20 and 21. Verse 20 says, Now, may the God of peace who brought up from the dead... Our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, with the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with all that is good to do his will, working in us that what is pleasing in his sight through Christ Jesus. Glory belongs to him forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, this morning I pray that through the songs that we have sang, through the words that we are going to hear and, and we are going to speak, and God, I pray that we join with the angels. God, glory to you in the highest heavens. Glory belongs to you forever and ever and ever. And so, God, I pray this morning that we exalt you, that we lift you up. God, regardless of the struggles that are so real in our lives and real in our nation and real in our world, God, amidst all this struggle, God, help us to find the peace to exalt you and to lift you up. God, help us to find the peace to live out your will. Help us to find the peace and discover the peace that will allow us and equip us to do what you've called us to do, God, so that we can join in all of creation in glorifying you. And so, God, this morning, whether we are sitting here in person, whether we are gathered online this morning, God, the struggle is real. God, for so many of us, it is real. It is real on a national level. It's real on a personal level, God. And for some of us, it may be so real that it is a war raging on the inside of us. And so, God, I pray that you speak to us this morning. I pray that when we leave here, God, we leave here and we end this time with just this overwhelming sense of peace that even though the struggles are real, even though the struggles continue, even though the struggles exist, God, we know where we stand. God, we know where we are anchored and we don't have to be worried anymore because there's this sense of peace because the God of peace can give that to us. And so, God, I pray that you speak during this time. And God, I pray that you speak to our struggles and to our hearts this morning. Father, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. One of the great things I love about Christmas is that there are so many traditions that happen this time of year. And some traditions are kind of new. Some of them started with your family. Uh, but some traditions go way, way back. In fact, there's a tradition in Finland uh, that's been going, it's been happening almost every single year since the 1300s. Okay, so think about it. This has been going on almost every single year from the 1300s. That's, a, that's a, almost seven, that's over 700 years ago. 
That, that's almost twice, that is more than twice, the, the length of our nation. Okay? Our nation hasn't even been around for half of that time. And this tradition has been happening almost every single year since the 1300s. 700 years this tradition. And it's simply called the Declaration of Christmas Peace. And so it works like this, that every year at noon on Christmas Eve, uh, the, the city officials or a city official, somebody who's special in this city in Finland, he gets to get up and he kind of stands on this balcony of this historic mansion and he gets to make this proclamation in the midst of this huge town and uh, in the Great Square. And, and it's broadcast on the radio, it's broadcast on television, and uh, you can stream it now on the internet. You couldn't used to do that, but you can. And so the Declaration, it serves as this kind of reminder uh, to encourage everybody to spend holiday in harmony. And it threatens offenders with pretty harsh punishment. So I want to read it to you because I think it's great. Um, and this is kind of the English translation. Um, so you may find a different version of it, but the proclamation, so a picture of some big government official standing on this balcony pronouncing this over his whole town. And he says this, that tomorrow, God willing, is the graceful celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior. And thus, it, thus is declared a peaceful Christmas time for all. By advising devotion and to behave otherwise quietly and peacefully. Because he who breaks this peace and violates the peace of Christmas by any illegal or improper behavior shall under the aggravating circumstances be guilty and punished according to the law and statutes prescribed for each and every offense separately. Finally, a joyous Christmas feast is wished on all the inhabitants of this city. So listen, I don't know if you heard that or not, but I think this is something that we should start doing in America. Perhaps some of you, maybe this is the declaration. You need to stand up on Christmas Eve in your house, and you need to read this before all your family members come over. Okay? Maybe you should email this to them. If you need a copy of it, I can email it to you. And you can email a copy. This is what's going to happen. We're going to have peace on this Christmas, and if you can't, then we're going to punish you, and we're going to kick you out. And we're going to punish you for every single offense. So like every time you roll your eyes, that's one. Every time you, you huff and puff, every time you get in a fight over the mashed potatoes not being cooked right, it's, it's going to be punished every single time. So these guys, I mean, they are serious about peace. And I think this is a great idea because, let's be honest, this is the message of the angels when they show up for the shepherds. This is the announcement that the, the, the shepherds give to the, uh, the angels give to the shepherds um, in this first Christmas. It's this announcement of peace. And so I love this story. I love this part of the story of Christmas when the angels show up. And it starts with just one angel showing up, and uh, then there's a multitude of them. But I love this encounter between the angel and the shepherds. Um, and it's pretty interesting because it breaks some of these kind of common misunderstandings we have of these groups. And so let me, both the groups of the shepherds and the angels, let me start with the shepherds. See, for folks that are animal lovers, you tend to think that a shepherd would be the greatest job ever. I mean, think about it for just a moment. You get to spend all day with this fluffy, white, cotton ball looking thing with legs okay that's a sheep and, and if you're if you're an animal lover that's what you think of a sheep because that's what you've seen on pictures and, and not only that so you get to spend all day with these nice little fluffy sheep and they all love you and they all want you to pet them and and they're all soft and cozy and stuff like that and then there's the little baby lambs that you can pick up and you can hold because they're so cute and, and for many of us that's what we picture when we picture shepherd that this is all day this is what you get to do you get to hang out with these nice little fluffy uh white pristine little sheep that are going on all day long. And this is how we picture this. But if you pay attention to the Christmas story, you get just a hint that you don't just get to spend all day with these white, fluffy animals. 
What you really do is you get to spend your whole life with them. Because do you notice in the Christmas story, they're out there in the middle of the night. So they spend all day with these animals, and then they spend all night with these animals. Now, I'm just going to let you in on a secret. Most sheep are not white. Okay, I don't know if you know that or not. Especially sheep in the Middle East are typically not white. Because there's so much dirt and there's so much dust all around that gets all matted in their wool. And they're not clean and they're not, they don't get baths like you think they do. The little lambs, they're not cute and fuzzy like you think they are. And they're not just waiting for you to pick them up. If you're going to pick one up, you've got to catch it first, okay? It really doesn't want you to pick it up. And so this idea that we have of these shepherds kind of being these little meek, mild guys who are just calm-natured and just everything's peaceful and quiet around them all the time, that's not a true picture. Instead, what I want you to picture is somebody who's big enough and strong enough to take on a wolf or a bear with his bare hands. Right? That, get that picture. And then, let's go to reality. He hangs out with sheep all day. These sheep smell terrible. And he hangs out with them. He sleeps with them during the day and at night. And so, he smells terrible. And the only people he gets to hang around with, besides the sheep, are other people that do the same thing. So, he's in this group of people that all they do is hang around stinky, smelly, dirty animals for their whole life. Right? How's that change your Christmas story? Does that, does that make your manger scene look a little different for just a minute? But there's another group that, that we encounter in this story um, that, that is kind of misunderstood as well. And so I'll tell you that about the, sheep, the shepherds because it's pretty amazing that out of everybody in Israel, about all the religious leaders, these shepherds, these filthy, nasty, dirty shepherds, they're the very first ones to hear about the birth of Christ. Do you realize that? Out of all people, all the religious leaders, everybody, it, no prophets, nothing. An angel, bam, shows up to these shepherds. And when the angel shows up, he, he kind of gets rid of this misconception we have about angels. Because when most of us think about an angel, let's be honest, and we've talked about this here before, and I don't know if, if you remember this, but when most of us picture an angel, what we picture is this little chubby, half-naked baby that's got wings coming out of his back. And it's this cute little fat baby that's got these cheeks you could just squeeze the, the life out of. That's what we picture in our mind because that's what is in all the classical artworks, these fat, half-naked babies with wings. All right, That's how they picture angels. But i got to tell you, at no point in any passage of Scripture is that how angels are depicted in the Bible. In fact, most of the time when you have a depiction of an angel, when an angel makes an appearance... It has a, a very different situation going on. Because if you notice when we read that passage in verse 9, it says that when one angel showed up to this whole group of shepherds, remember these are big guys, they, they can fight wolves and bears with their bare hand, and one angel shows up in verse 9 at the very end, three little words. They were terrified. They're terrified. Now, if you've seen those pictures of the fat, half-naked babies, that's not terrifying to a guy who can take on a bear. Right? There's nothing scary about that. Right? But if you've got this warrior guy who shows up, that's intimidating. And definitely if he shows up out of nowhere. And so he shows up, and this is actually the fourth encounter of an angel in the Christmas story. One shows up to Zechariah in the temple. Uh, one shows, Gabriel shows up there. Gabriel shows up to Mary. Um, and tells her the good news. Uh, another one shows up to Joseph in a dream. We don't know his name. It could be Gabriel. It could be another one. We don't really know. It's not told that. Um, and then this one. But I want you to see something. In, in every single one of these messages, one of the first things, it's not always the first thing, but one of the first things that they always say to the person they show up to is, is what we see here in verse 10. Three little words. Don't be afraid. 
Well, that's easy for you to say. You didn't just have something pop out of nowhere, this, this big, massive warrior-looking thing, okay? And, and so I want to be understanding, I want us to have this clear idea that the angels in the Bible are not these cute, little, fat, chubby, half-naked babies. They are terrifying to look at. They are something that if you saw them, you would be afraid because they have to tell you not to be afraid of them. They, they have to tell you that this because they are terrifying to look at. There's something extremely startling about their appearance. And so the angels that we have in the Christmas story and throughout the Bible, there's something that would be shocking to you if you saw it. And so this big, terrifying angel comes with this very important message in verse 10. He starts off with, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And next week we're going to talk about joy, so we're going to focus on that verse a little bit more next week. And, and so this is the first announcement of the birth of Christ. And, and he says, listen, I've got this good news. And the good news is that the, Messiah, the Savior, the Messiah you've been waiting for hundreds of years for, he's here. And I'm going to tell you where he's at, and I'm going to tell you how to find and how to identify this child. And then we're going to skip down to verse 13. In verse 13, things get a little more interesting because all of heaven shows up. Not just one angel, but in verse 13, this huge moment of joy. And it says, suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying. So, so I want you to imagine if, if you were one of these shepherds sitting on this hillside, sitting in this field. It's quiet. It's a silent night, but it's not really because no childbirth is silent that I know of. And, uh, so it, it, but it, it's quiet, and all of a sudden, bam, there's an angel. And he tells you, hey, don't worry, don't be afraid. And all of a sudden, boom, there's a multitude of them. I, I, w- I think I would be a little concerned, even though he's t- bringing me good news of great joy. I think I'd be a little concerned. And, and, and we don't know how many a multitude is. It's probably thousands, if not tens of thousands, or more than that. And they all have the same message in verse 14. I want you to notice in verse 14, they're saying, they don't sing, okay? So this is why Pastor Michael doesn't sing, because the angels don't either in this passage, all right? Because I'm just doing what the angels do. That's all I'm required to do, nothing else. So in verse 14, they say, Glory to God in the highest, and, on, and peace on earth to people he favors. Or many of us learned it, peace and goodwill towards men, or peace to those on earth. And the angels... The very first message is this praise of God and this declaration of peace on earth. And this is the original declaration of peace, of Christmas peace, that the Finns have been trying to carry out for 700 years. But there's something very interesting that I want to give you a little bit of history about because I don't want you to miss the significance of this. When this proclamation takes place, when these angels show up and proclaim peace across the world, it happens during a time that many uh, historians consider the Pax Romana, right? which means the peace of Rome. It's this time period in Roman history. It lasted for about 200 years where there was very little, if any, revolts. There were very little, if any, wars. There was very little um, uh, external conflict. That for the most part, the Western world, which include most of Europe, include all the Middle East and even Northern Africa, for most of this time, the Western world was completely at peace, relatively. Now, there were a few skirmishes here and there. It's one of the few times that historians would say this was the peacefulest time throughout the whole world and throughout all of history. And so when you realize that this declaration of peace on earth comes in the middle of this very peaceful time, it leads us to one of two things. Either one... These angels showed up too late because the Paxus Romana started about 25 years before the birth of Christ. Okay? It started when this guy named Octavian defeated his, his worst enemy. Um, and there was all these civil wars going on. And he finally defeated the last one. And so he starts this final time of peace. 
All right? And we know him not as Octavian. You know him as Caesar Augustus. By the way, it's the same one that's in the very first of Luke chapter 2. Same guy. Okay? So he starts this. So if the angels show up and they say, hey, there's going to be peace everywhere. These shepherds could look around and be like, dude, you're kind of late. Like, there's been peace. Like, for the last 25 years, we, we really haven't had any problems. Things are relatively calm. Or there's another answer to why they're showing up proclaiming peace. Because their version of peace and their understanding of peace is very different than what we see on the outside. It's very different than what we picture peace being. And I really think it's more than that. I think it's more that idea because, to be honest with you, angels aren't going to show up late. They're not going to show up 25 years after peace has started to say, hey, we're going to have peace. By the way, you've already had it. They're not going to do that. They're, they're going to be on God's time. And so I'm convinced that the reason they show up at this time is because they want to shape the way we understand peace in the very first place. You see, when, when there has to be peace, it doesn't mean just that there's no war. It, it means something different. You see, peace doesn't just mean that there's peace across the world. You see, there is international peace and there's national peace. And all that can look fine and great. And we can experience all those things but they're not talking about that because that's already happening. What they're talking about is this inter-peace, this personal level peace, this peace that's on the inside of us as individuals, and that wars can be raging all over the place, but on the inside of us, we can have a peace that goes against all of that. We can have a peace that stands in all that. So sometimes our struggles are not external, but sometimes they're internal, and often they're hidden beyond anybody else's vision or anybody else's understanding. And so I want you to see that the first reason they, they kind of announce peace is because they're not talking about an absence of a political war. They're not talking about an absence of political conflict. They're talking about something that happens on the inside of us. And so when they proclaim peace, they're proclaiming something that can happen in your life personally. Not just nationally, but personally, you can have peace. Regardless of what the rest of the world does, you can do this. And the second reason I think they give this announcement in this time to shape our understanding is they want to make it clear that the peace that they're talking about isn't obtained through a political system. You see, this Pax Romanus happened in the Roman Empire. It was the end of this very bloody civil war, and they had been fighting all these different civil wars. And at the very end of it, Octavian and Caesar Augustus, he is in charge. There's no question he's in charge. He is the one who makes all the shots, calls all the shots. He has his political system set up from this moment on. And, and so understand that if there was peace in the Roman Empire, and it was taking place for about 25 years before these angels showed up, what it's telling me is that the peace they're talking about isn't coming through a political system, it's not coming through a political victory, that it's, it's really too broad for that. This is peace across the whole world, which means that it's got to encompass every political system, every political structure that it's out there. So we're not talking about some kind of peace treaty or peace deal. We're not talking about, in fact, anything that can be man-made or man-manufactured. This piece has to happen beyond us. This piece has to happen outside of our own creativity, outside of our own ability to usher in peace ourselves. You see, because it's on the inside, it's got to come from the outside. And so we find out by looking in Hebrews, that this peace is never going to come through a political leader. In fact, if you're looking for peace in your life, and you're looking for it from a, a government, or you're looking for it from a political leader, or if you're looking for it from some other person, then I've got to tell you, you're going to stay in your struggles forever because you're looking in the wrong place. You're never going to find the peace you're looking for. You're never going to find that inner peace that the angels are proclaiming by looking at someone else or some other system or by some political government official. You're never going to find it there. 
Hebrews tells us where it comes from. In fact, they told us where it comes from. You see, the peace of Christmas can't come from our own efforts. It has to come from the God of peace who brings that down to us. And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews tells us in verse 13. This is this kind of peace that we're talking about, this individual peace. It doesn't have some political answer. It doesn't have some uh, military answer. It simply comes from the God of peace who represents uh, and who, who, through the death and resurrection of Christ, brings it to us. You see, the writer Hebrew reminds us these three quick reasons that even in the midst of all of our struggles, regardless of what's happening in the world around us, there's this inner peace that we have as Christians that nobody else has. And he gives us these three very specific reasons. And so three things that we're going to see in verse, 12, or verse 20 of Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to walk through this verse really slowly, step by step, because each phrase gives us this reason of peace. And each one of them is this idea of, hey, you can hold on to this. In the midst of all of your struggles, Latch on to this if you're looking for peace this morning. So the very first reason that we have peace in our struggles is because we have something that nobody else has. We have a new life in Christ. You see, the greatest enemy that we're ever going to face is death. One of the greatest things that you can have in peace, one of the greatest ways that you can have peace is simply this. You need to know that your greatest enemy has been defeated. You won't have peace. You won't be able to sleep at night if you think that your greatest enemy is out there coming to get you at some point in some time, right? So think about that. If you're a military person and you are, you're trying to rest and you're trying to settle down, you're trying to get your troops ready, and you know your enemy is just at the gates, you're probably not going to sleep well that night. There's not going to be peace and comfort and, and gentleness going on in your side. You're going to be antsy. You're going to feel the stress of that moment. And for some of you, you know what that feels like because you feel it all the time. That's the war that's raging inside you. So the only way you're going to know and feel peace is if you know that enemy is not just at the gate, but he's already been defeated because even if he's not at the gate, but he's down the road or he's a couple of cities away, he's still out there lurking and he's still out there to get you. And so the only way you're going to feel peace and know this inner peace is to know that he's been defeated. And when the ultimate enemy has been defeated, that means all the other little enemies that you're not as concerned about, you can take care of those. And so what we find is that our greatest enemy has already been defeated. I want you to see this in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. This is exactly what the God of peace does for us. He defeats our greatest enemy. It says, Now may the God of peace who brought up from the, uh, from the dead our Lord Jesus. And you're looking there and you're saying, Michael, I don't see anything about an enemy being defeated in that passage. And if you don't, then I want to tell you that you're looking at the wrong enemy. Because our greatest enemy is nothing in this world except one thing. The greatest enemy of all of us and all of humanity is death. It's the one enemy that no one has been able to defeat, apart from, from what we're going to see in this passage. It's the one enemy that knows no boundaries. It's the one enemy that has reached out to every nation. It's the one enemy that's touched every race. It's the one enemy that's touched every social class. It's the one enemy that's touched every gender. There is no gender or race or ethnicity or, or nationality. There's nothing that anybody has been able to do to escape this enemy. It has touched every aspect of life. It has touched every life. It is the ultimate end of our life. And, and so nobody has been able to escape this. And so this is the greatest enemy that we as living humans will ever have to face and will ever have to experience. And if we're going to experience this true peace, then we've got to know that this is our ultimate enemy. But the joy of knowing that this is the ultimate enemy is that this enemy has already been defeated. 
You see, this peace of Christmas comes because our greatest enemy has already been taken care of. We serve and we worship the one who, as it says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, has been brought up from the dead. You see, when Jesus, we can celebrate Jesus because we know that he didn't stay this little bitty baby in a manger forever. He became a man and he lived a life and he went and he died on the cross. He sacrificed himself for our sins. But this is what separates Christianity from every other religion. This is what separates what we believe from anybody else is that they all worship somebody that died the same way that Jesus did. Not on a cross, but they all died. See, the difference between what we worship and what they worship is that ours didn't stay that way. Ours came back to life. He has a new life that God brought him back from the dead. And when Jesus stepped out of the grave, you know what it declared? Death, you don't hold the power anymore. Death, you don't get to be the ultimate enemy anymore. You may be the ultimate enemy, but I've got the keys to victory right here. I've got the power to defeat death. I've got the power to defeat sin. I can step out of this grave. And if we as Christians can trust in Him, then we have that same power in us. You see, our greatest enemy has already been defeated. And so we kind of look at things in our life and we say, this is terrible and this is so hard. That's not your worst enemy. In fact, the worst thing that this life can throw at you is the end of your life. But guess what? It's already been taken care of. It's already been defeated. And we have this new life in Christ because He's been raised from the dead. The worst thing that this life has to hold for you isn't, it pales in comparison to the power that Christ has. And so when the struggles come to you, you can have peace knowing that your greatest enemies. It's already been taken care of. You already have the power to defeat it because it's already been defeated by Him. And see, there's a second reason that we can have peace in our struggles. And it's because not only do we have this new life, but get this, we are protected by the great shepherd. This is the beautiful connection between the Christmas story in Luke 2 and this passage in Hebrews 13. You see, in Luke 2, this promise of peace comes to these shepherds in the middle of a field. But the promise of peace is not just peace. It's the person of peace who comes through this manger, who goes through the cross, who comes through resurrection, and it is the person of peace who's the great shepherd. The message comes to shepherds because it is a shepherd that provides us peace. And so in verse 20, we go back and it says this promise of peace comes through the great shepherd of the sheep. You see, nighttime for many people is the worst. It's the hardest time because it's the time when things get quiet. It's the time when things aren't busy around you. It's the time when your inner peace struggles the most because the chaos of the world has settled down just a little bit. And all this raging is the struggles inside of you. And i got to tell you that nighttime was the worst for all the sheep as well. It's the time when the predators lurk the most. It's the time when, when the, the most predators are out there, when the wolves are out and the bears are out. This is the time that the sheep, they need desperately to lay down and sleep because they need this rest. But it, when they lay down and sleep, it's the time they're the most vulnerable because they can't really get up quickly. I don't know if you've ever seen a sheep try to outrun something that doesn't work very well, especially one that's laying down. They're vulnerable at that moment. You see, but sheep only get to rest because they know that they're under the watchful eye of a shepherd. You see, the, the shepherd's going to protect them. He's going to gather them together in a field. And so I want you to kind of picture this in your mind. The shepherd's going to gather all of his sheep together as much as he can, and he's going to just have them calm down. He's going to lay them down together in this field. And they're just going to relax. And they're going to go to sleep in the middle of this wide open field in the middle of the night. And the only reason they can sleep is because they know that he's not sleeping. 
they know that they can close their eyes and all their world is going to be fine because someone's eyes are not closed. They can rest and they can be vulnerable for all the moments that they need to be because someone is strong and watching over them. You see, as they slept, the shepherd didn't. As they were calm and quiet and there was peace in all of their life and they were, had this moment of tranquility, the reason it happens is because the shepherd is standing at the highest point he can. And he's standing there with his slingshot and his staff and he's watching the perimeter of the field. And he's checking the tree line. He's checking for eyes that are glowing in the nighttime that are staring at his sheep. He's checking for anything that moves or anything that's lurking or anything that may cause harm to his sheep. And when he sees it, he doesn't just stand back and let it happen. When he sees it, he automatically starts moving. He leaves the sheep quietly, resting maybe another shepherd watching over them, he automatically, and he goes and he moves, and he puts himself between whatever is coming at his sheep and his sheep. He physically stands between them, and he stands and he watches to see what it is that's coming after his sheep. Is it something calm? Is it something peaceful? Or is it something that's dangerous to him? And all of a sudden, he realized this is something dangerous. This is a wolf, or this is a bear, or this is some other animal that's going to attack my sheep. He'll start with a slingshot. And he'll take out a slingshot, just like David did with Goliath, and he'll start throwing rocks at it, trying to scare it away, or trying to, to shoo it the other way. And if that doesn't work, if it keeps coming closer to him, then he's going to take that staff in his hand. And let me tell you, the staff is not just for decoration. It's there to beat whatever's coming after him. And so he's going to beat that thing as close as he can. And then if it keeps coming, if it gets within arm range, he's going to pull out his knife, and he's going to have hand-to-hand combat with this sheep or this wolf or this bear, whatever it is that's coming after his sheep. And if need be, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, he's going to lay down his life. He's going to die because he's going to protect his sheep with everything that he has. Do you see? That's what Jesus does for you and for me. We get to sleep, and we get to rest, and we get to feel this sense of peace because we know the great shepherd is watching over every aspect of our life. Guess what? The great shepherd, he, you are sleeping in a field and the great shepherd, he's watching the wood line for you. He's watching the edge of the field for anything that might be lurking, any eyes that might be staring at you. And when he sees the enemy coming, he's going to go stand in the middle of its path. He's going to go stop it and block it from getting to you. And so sometimes when we are in struggles in our life, we forget about the good shepherd. We forget about the shepherd who, who is moving and the good shepherd who's protecting us. Sometimes we, we get in that moment of peace and we think this is too good to be true. The, the enemy is just right outside the edge. We forget that the one watching over us, that's his job. That's what he does. He protects us. And sometimes we get in this struggle and we think, God, where are you at? Where's this great shepherd who's supposed to be warding off these enemies? Where's the great shepherd that's supposed to be stopping all the enemies? And sometimes we might be getting chased by a little wolf puppy. And we think that this is terrible. And in our mind, we're so, God, where are you at? This little wolf puppy is coming after me. And we forget that the great shepherd stopped a whole pack of wolves. And maybe the little puppy he let by. You see, sometimes the great shepherd protects us from enemies that we don't even know exist. In fact, often he protects us from enemies that are so far beyond our existence and so far beyond our imagination. And sometimes he protects us from things that are lurking in the woods that we have no idea are even out there. You see, the great shepherd, he sees more and he protects us from far more than we will ever know. So even in the midst of our struggles, I want to share this with you. The great shepherd stops so many more struggles from coming into your life. 
And so when you're in those struggles and you're trying to figure out, God, where are you at in this? God, where's the peace in this situation? Realize that God stopped so much more from coming into your life than what you were dealing with. And He protected you from so much more than any other time in your life. And see, finally, we got this one last great thing that we don't have to worry about our great shepherd ever leaving us because he has purchased us with this everlasting covenant. This is the final reason that we can have peace in the midst of our struggle. At the very end of verse 20, it starts off, it says, Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, with the blood of the everlasting covenant. Covenant is an arrangement or an agreement. It's legally binding. It's a commitment. And so this commitment to Christ is it's an everlasting one. We don't have to wake up tomorrow wondering if we were good enough today for God to stand with us. We don't have to wake up tomorrow or next week and wonder if we did enough good stuff that God's really going to be on our side. We don't have to wake up tomorrow and wonder if God's left us by ourselves. Because He never does. He never will. Why? Because He purchased us with the blood, with His blood, in this everlasting covenant. Do you understand that? It's not a covenant that's conditional. It's not this covenant that says, hey, if you do good things, I'll be with you. But if you don't, I'm out. If you ask the right thing, if you say the right prayer, if you read the right Bible verses, I'll stand with you. But if not, I'm out. No, this is an everlasting covenant that once we are in this commitment with Christ, there is no way out of it for Him nor for us. That once we're in this, we are in this forever. We don't have to wake up tomorrow worrying whether God's on our side or not because He is. And we've got the stability in our life. We've got the great shepherd watching over us. So even in the midst of your struggles and your heartaches and your hard times, realize that you don't have to worry that God's left you because He promised you that He never will leave you and He never will forsake you. He's never gone against a promise. We are sealed with His blood for all of eternity. Now let me just real quick give you verse 21 because I've got I've to finish this and then we'll get to the baptism part. But verse 21 I want you to see that he didn't give us peace just to sit back and do nothing. He gives us peace for two reasons in verse 21. He gives us peace, uh, first off, so that we will do good works. It starts off in verse 21. It says that he will equip you with all that is good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Christ Jesus. You see, he is giving you peace so that you can do work. He's giving you peace so that you can do His will. He's giving you peace so that you can be continually doing what He's called you to do. You see, you stop doing the things that He's called you to do when you're so focused on the struggles that are inside, when you're torn apart on the inside, when the war is raging on the inside. You can't focus on what He's called you to do because you're too worried about what's tearing you up. God says, no, no, no. I'm going to give you peace so that you can continue to do what I've called you to do. You can continue to do the good works. And in verse 21, the last part of it, he gives us peace so that we can bring him glory. It says the glory belongs to him forever and ever. I want you to see this. We get to enjoy peace to do what he's called us to do so that we can join the angels in their say, not this their song. If you want to sing it, that's fine. But do you remember how this passage started? These angels show up to the shepherds and they say, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth. And now we have the great shepherd watching over us. And now it is our job to join with the angels and say glory to God forever and ever. We live a life of peace so that we can live a life seeking his will so that we can bring him glory. This beautiful connection because he came to the shepherds. He is the shepherd of our life. And now we join the angels in singing this glorious chorus or saying this glorious chorus. Glory to him be forever and ever and ever Amen. And see, in the second week of Advent, let me encourage you 
wherever you're at, whether the struggles are exterior, whether their struggles are interior, let me encourage you this. The only way that you're going to find peace is to discover the God of peace. The only way that you're going to discover the God of peace is because He sent the Prince of Peace. And in the midst of our heartaches and struggles, if you're going to find the Prince of Peace, then you're going to find the one who defeated your greatest enemy. You're going to find the great shepherd who's been watching over you and caring for you each and every moment of your life. You're going to find the one who sealed you with this everlasting covenant who will never leave you or forsake you. And so if you're struggling with, with external or internal struggles this morning, let me encourage you to worship like the shepherds did, to, to be surrounded by all these struggles and yet glorify God through it all. Because the Prince of Peace came to defeat our enemy. Because the Prince of Peace came to be our shepherd. Because the Prince of Peace came to buy us and purchase us with His blood. Let's pray together.